through September. <laughs> so just uh, nothing's going to change for about nine months other than for some uh, different Sundays in between like Easter and things like that. We'll probably take a break from Acts. Uh, but we are continuing in our Acts and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 6 verse, through one, verse 1 through 6 this morning together. Um, I don't know how your week was. Uh, my week was uh, very hectic, um, and, but I know some of your week was just insanely hectic, so uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not complaining about that. Uh, but, you know, one, one thing that was interesting for me this week was um, I did, uh, I was officiating a wedding last night in the evening, and, uh, you know, I was standing up there, and there's this beautiful couple, so cute, and uh, just bride is bawling the whole time, and uh, it was just, uh, you know, um, it was just beautiful. Um, but in my message, in my charge to them, I, I, I was talking about how, you know, people think that uh, this is, at the altar, it is the height of their love. You know, that's what uh, little girls dream of starting from when they were young. You know, um, they plan their weddings or, you know, uh, think of who they're going to marry. And, and, and that, that moment at the altar, the moment they exchange rings and say, I do, you know, I promise you with all my heart, you know, um, and that, that is, people think that is the, 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 the climax of their expression of love for one another. And everyone says what? Yeah, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> After the altar, it's all downhill. It's just straight downhill from there. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, I, I, I didn't leave it there. I mean, you don't want to say that to people that are getting married. Uh, because after that, uh, the point is that if you want to go deeper in love and you want to grow in love, it's really impossible to do that on our own strength. And, you know, after the honeymoon period is over, literally, um, after all of the wedding, the ceremony, the centerpieces, and, and the, the, the yummy food, and the dances, and all those touching moments at the wedding, after all that is over, the real work begins, and the what? The high wears off, and really things, that's the reality, and, and, and because we can hide our brokenness forever. We can cover it up with a w- beautiful white wedding dress and, and a tux and, and a, you know, a beautiful ceremony, but we can't hide that forever, right? Our imperfections, our brokenness will begin to emerge, you know, from darkness. It'll come up, and it's because we're all broken up, and, and that's why good things don't last, not because of the weather, because we're all messed up. We mess things up. Good things don't last because I mess it up. You mess it up. Okay, we're not pretending to be perfect here, right? And so we've been seeing and studying together the development of the early church, and we saw how amazing things are or were. You know, after the Pentecost, uh, the Spirit comes, and, and there are just amazing pow- displays of miracles and power and healing and testimonies, and, and people are being added to the church by the thousands day in, uh, in, in a matter of days and weeks, and it was just incredible, right? But we all know that that's not going to last. I think I already told you that a few Sundays ago that it's not going to last. We saw Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and following, and, and it was just beautiful. Everybody was together, shared everything, and they were one in heart. And, but I already told you, it's not going to last. Maybe only for a couple chapters. Maybe. And then we already saw Ananias and Sapphira a few Sundays ago, how they, they were uh, motivated with, with absolutely wrong reasons, Right? Okay, and, and, and we saw how they were judged for that. Um, and uh, we now come to a text this morning. Even as the persecution is starting to heat up a little bit, it's not full-blown yet, but even as that's starting to heat up a little bit, we come to a text uh, where we see, I think, in my mind when I read this text, the honeymoon period for the early church is, is kind of over. 
Okay, uh, so let's go to uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 6. And we will read that together. And we'll see what the word has for us this morning. Okay, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. I will read these verses for us. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. Or I guess I'm reading verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Uh, we will uh, look at these verses this morning. All right, one of my uh, favorite places to drive. Okay, this is kind of a love-hate thing. Um, have you ever driven down Alvarado Boulevard in L.A.? Yeah, you get off the two if you're going from this area or, you know, wherever valley. And you go off the two, you get off on Glendale Boulevard where the two ends, and then you, you make a right turn onto Alvarado. You go up the hill, you know, Temple or whatever, uh, Beverly, and then you start going downhill. And as soon as you hit the 6th uh, uh, Street, right, and then, uh, and then there's Wilshire, right, and then and that, that, that strip right there, that three blocks or so of Alvarado, you got the MacArthur Park, and you got the MacArthur Park Lake right there, right? You, have you been there? Okay. I, I have a love-hate relationship because I really don't like driving through there because it's insane. It's just crazy, right? But it's also one of my favorite parts of L.A. when I'm going into L.A. because it's so diverse, it's so diverse. You actually literally see as you're driving through those few blocks, literally like three, four blocks or so, uh, you see Asians, you see Latinos, you, mainly you see Latinos, you see Latinos, and then you see, uh, you see whites, you see blacks, you see uh, all these different kinds of people, and you see people selling stuff, uh, some of them illegally, and you, you see people doing, doing this, you know, do you know what that is? You know what that is? Fake ID, they're, going, they're just flashing like this, so you want to fake, I'll oh, see Ah, yeah, you learned something new today. So if you need fake ID next time, you know where to go. <laughs> uh, they, they've, they've cleaned up a lot, so you, know, I don't, you won't see that as much anymore you used to. Um, but um, yeah, and uh, you, know, you see people in the stores, people walking everywhere, kids, adults, uh, old people, um, babies being pushed in the stroller. It's just insane over there. But it's like you, right as you drive in there, you're like, ah, this is L.A., you know, this is L.A., and I mean, believe me, you don't want to be there late at night. <laughs> you don't want to be walking around there late at night. They got the basketball courts over there, and, uh, you know, got the lake and everything, but at night, it's, uh, it's something else, so uh, you don't want to. They, they've cleaned up a lot, though, okay, so it's a lot better, so I hear, um, but um, anyway, it, it's a very diverse 
place. So I like driving through there, as chaotic as it is, right? And uh, whenever we think of the early church, I think we have a tendency to think of early church as just all kind of similar-looking people with the same color of skin. And uh, they just come, kind of coming together, speaking the same language, Aramaic or something, you know, whatever Jews spoke back then. You know, and uh, uh, we just, uh, that's how you imagine. It was a very, um, you know, kind of a, in some ways even a, a boring group representing only one segment of society or culture at the time. But that's actually not true. It was a very diverse group of community. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It's not, it didn't look like what it looks like on Alvarado, you know. All people from all nations, all continents represented. No, it didn't look like that. But it was more diverse than we'd like to think it was. Okay, um, and, and so uh, I, whenever I try to picture the early church, I think of Alvarado and I just bring it a notch down. You know, then I'm like, okay, maybe that's what it was, you know. Um, um, and, uh, you know, we, we see that Acts 2, what, what do we hear? The Holy Spirit came down and they started speaking in tongues filled with the Holy Spirit and all the people that were there from different parts of, of the region said, wait, these people are these disciples. They're speaking my language and they were hearing different things, right? And so we know that there were different cultures and languages represented and we all, we all know if you speak a different language, that represents different culture, right? Whenever you're studying a language, you're not just studying the language, You're learning about their culture. That's why if you can speak a certain language to a certain degree of fluency, you actually understand that culture because you know why that word came into being used that way. There's so much underneath every word and grammar and and why is this word missing in that culture and why do we have so, like, 10 words to describe one emotion in this culture, right? So you're learning these things that you realize that, oh, all different cultures are represented. And it's said that all those people came to faith that day. And so people are coming to church, they're becoming believers, and it was a diverse community. They, weren't, they didn't all look alike. They did have darker-skinned people, and they did have lighter-skinned people. I doubt there were Chinese merchants back there, you know, during that time. Maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. Um, but they definitely had different shades of skin represented uh, back then, and different language. So it was ethnically, culturally, and economically, which we already know, a very diverse community. And you and I know we're not naive either. When you have a community as diverse as that, you're going to have what? Some issues. Yeah, problems, issues, right? So that's where we come to. I told you the honeymoon is over, right? Honeymoon is over. So what was the problem? Now, before the church even came into being, before the Pentecost, the temple, Jewish temple, they had a system, a temple, a uh, 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 poor baskets uh, where they collect food except donations and they hand it out to different people who needed uh, food and you know help things like they couldn't make ends meet and things like that they had already had a system like that and in fact there were some other i don't know what you want to call them like uh, special interest groups or something uh, before religious sects even they would have uh, their own outreach program Um, and some of those guys were more uh, about Uh, taking care of their own, people who are part of their group, and they would kind of take care of each other because, hey, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're like, you know, I'm going to take care of you. So you have, I don't know why I I talk like that whenever I (laughs) say things like that, but, uh, you know, uh, they have those programs, right? So when the church came into being, when they started meeting together as a community, uh, they 
began doing the same thing. They began helping not just the people within the church that were identified as followers of Jesus Christ, because uh, the word Christian isn't still being used at this point. It comes much later. Uh, but um, they were taking care of uh, their own and other people. But remember, this is a group, in a matter of a few weeks, it had been growing by the thousands every week. It's pretty incredible. And so as much as they wanted to help people out, they were going to run into problems of distribution, supply and demand, right? Okay, and we all know people who are in charge of these things, they're not always making the wisest decisions, right? I mean, we're right in the middle of all these crazy elections right now, right? Um, and last night, the, yesterday was, which states were they? Um, South Carolina, I think there was, was it just South Carolina? I, Nevada, right? Um, I just know that South Carolina, I heard Trump won, right? And who was, was it Hillary? She won by a little bit? Yeah, okay. Uh, and, and, you know, they're talking about, a lot of things that they're talking about is Bernie Sanders, too. I mean, what, what the thing is, the whole distribution issue, if you really think about it, the distribution of wealth, right? And so you're going to run into all these problems, and people making those decisions aren't always making the best decisions. And, even though people may be making the best decisions they could possibly make up there, people receiving the aid may not necessarily feel like I'm receiving the best help that I deserve or I need right now, right? This is a very common problem we have today. And that's what the problem was. You know, they were trying to help, but it was going so fast. And, and uh, they, I, I think they just were overwhelmed. Um, and remember also that this is a very diverse group. I started out with that, right? This is a very important point for us to remember. And this text today uh, actually highlights a couple of specific people group, right? Um, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, right? There's just so many people uh, coming into church. The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows, the Grecian widows, were being overlooked, neglected in the daily distribution of food. So every day they're distributing food for people. Now you gotta remember widows, especially back then, they didn't have, because the, the men were the breadwinners. So if the, if the men dies, die, then they didn't have uh, really too many ways of making income. Okay, so they needed help, they needed food. And it says that Hebraic, I'm, I'm sorry, Grecian Jews were complaining to the Hebrew Jews about the fact that Grecian widows were being neglected by the Hebraic uh, Jews or, or the, the leadership, right? So let me just clarify who these people are. First of all, one word, uh, you know, I, I didn't make a slide for this. Uh, one word that I want to uh, uh, throw out there today, if you don't know this already, is called diaspora. Okay, D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A. It comes from a Greek word, and it just means scattered. Okay, and the longer you are in church, you will hear this more and more. Uh, it just means scattered. Um, and uh, people that are scattered, like there is a huge diaspora of Chinese people all over the world. Like you can't go anywhere in the world without finding a chap suey restaurant <laughs> somewhere, right? Um, there's a huge diaspora of, of uh, um, uh, Jews at this time as well. Okay, and a lot of times diaspora refers to people who are uh, scattered, not voluntarily, but involuntarily, meaning there was a forced 
uh, kind of persecution or, or, or oppression or something like that, or they were kicked out of their homeland and things like that. A lot of times that's what diaspora means. And so the, the Jews were expelled from uh, Jerusalem and all these areas in many times. And, and also, you know, that they were taken into exile, and some of them came back, some of them didn't. And so there were Jews kind of all over the region in, in, in the, uh, the Mediterranean area and to the Middle East even, uh, and, and to the North Africa and all these areas. Um, and, and they're called a diaspora. Okay, so, to, that concept is not too difficult, right? Okay, so the diaspora. And so you know that all these uh, Jew, Jewish people were everywhere, right? Now, some of the, uh, a lot of the Jewish men who are living in these different regions, not in Jerusalem, not in Israel, okay, but they were living in different places. When they get older, um, they call it, uh, maybe, you know, I think some people call it the salmon effect, not regarding this, but, you know, when you get older, they go back um, to, what, lay eggs, right, basically, or, or not lay eggs, that's not the technical, huh? Yeah, yeah, the, the, the birthplace, right? They go upstream, right? And then they return to their right, home, basically. Um, and these Jewish men as well, when they were living abroad, you know, and they, they would marry a woman from there. Um, and uh, they, uh, they might be Jews, uh, but they grew up in these uh, different areas. So they grew up speaking the language of wherever they were living in, just like a lot of us. Right? They're basically immigrants or children of immigrants, right? But when they get older, they, you know, and some of the more pious or divide Jewish men, they want to return home to Jerusalem because they want to be buried there, right? So they want to go back there. And so when they get older, a lot of them would pick up and move back to Jerusalem. And the wives obviously would move with them. And once the men die, uh, the wives would bury them in Jerusalem. And they are just there now. Because they're not from there. But they can't really go back, so they're just there. Uh, but they haven't really assimilated either. So they speak mostly. Now, the, the people that we're talking about here, Grecian Reels, they would mostly speak Greek language. But in Jerusalem, in, in this part, they would speak um, Aramaic, right? So they're speaking different language. So, you know, again, this is why I talked about diversity in the early church. Uh, we're, we just assume that they all speak the same language, but you've got to understand they had cultural problems. They had language communication issues. It's not like how we imagine it to be or assume it to be. So they, they come back in the process, they, uh, I guess after this, they had become Christians, um, and they probably only spoke Greek, and they had cultural problems, and, and maybe even religious uh, uh, you know, background differences. And so they're here, and they're, they're widowed, but they're not the only widows in town. <laughs> you got the widows of the local folks. They've been there for a long time. Right? And they speak the language. And they, they know everybody. They're comfortable. And most likely the people who are in charge of distribution were the locals as well. So they're complaining that uh, the, the Grecian Jews were saying, look, our widows, they're not getting their food. Look, the, the Hebraic widows, they're getting their food, but our women are not getting their food. So I thought about it, and I think there are three reasons why this was happening. First, because we're really talking about injustice here. Do you get what I'm saying here? There's injustice happening in this community right now. There is a specific named people group who are not getting their help. Do you get what I'm saying? 
there's injustice happening here. So three reasons why I, I think first one is uh, that it was done intentionally. It was a systemic oppression of the Grecian Jews. It was intentional. They thought about it. They were thinking about it. And they, they maybe, you know, when you say systemic racism, systemic uh, oppression, it means the entire structure is set up so that you can't win. If you're on the, on the other end receiving oppression, you can't win. It, it's set up so that you just can't get out of that downward spiral that you're stuck in. So maybe it was intentional. Maybe the people who were distributing the food, they were thinking, you know, oh, oh, there, there's a line. Oh, I see. Oh, this is oh, my next door neighbor. I grew up with her. She's, you know, oh, she's my people, you know, my people, whatever. And, okay, I'm going to give her two loaves of bread. And then this new person comes up, and you're like, okay, what do you need? And she can't even speak your language. Maybe broken. You could tell there's heavy accent, even if she is speaking language. And you're just like, oh, you, I don't, you know. And, and so I'm just going to give her one. You know, and maybe the, the, it, it was kind of perpetuating a cycle like that. And maybe they were intentionally being overlooked. Okay? And we can all identify with that. We might have been on the receiving end of something like that. Or we might have been on the side of actually intentionally. Maybe not admitting it. Maybe not systematically. But just kind of emotionally. You know? Uh, have done that to other people. But it's kind of hard to believe that that was the case. I mean, things were so good in the early church. How could they be so evil? So maybe, number two, maybe it wasn't that they were uh, systematically oppressing these Grecian Jews, but maybe the Grecian Jews were overly sensitive. You know, they were doing the best that they could, but maybe they already had those issues. Maybe they, were, they already had a victim mentality. I mean, think about it. They were uprooted from their hometown, and they came here because of their husbands and their family or whatever it was. And, and they're just, it's just already tough to make life, make any sense in this foreign place. Um, and, you know, it's like maybe there is a part of them, like, you know, I actually need more. I need, I deserve more. They're from here. They're comfortable here. They're familiar with the surroundings. But I'm new. I'm foreign. I'm, I don't know anything. I came here because of my husband. So I need more. And so maybe they were overly sensitive. I don't know. The third reason, maybe it was a bit of both. Maybe it was a bit of both. Maybe it wasn't as systematic as we, we, we talked about it, but maybe there was here and there just some issues. You know, some people who weren't as wise, some people who were just, you know, a little more, I don't know, uh, showing favoritism uh, to their people and not others. And maybe there was some of that happening. And then maybe there was some people from the Grecian uh, group that felt, you know, even though they were getting, maybe they were a little overly sensitive. Maybe they did have a problem with victim mentality. I don't know. Maybe it was both. Um, do you understand what I'm getting at here? See, we're talking about a problem of injustice that's happening in society with the specific uh, name, people group. But to get to the bottom of the issue, the core of the problem, it's never as simple as black and white. No pun intended. Okay? It's never simple. It's never as simple as we want it to be. But here's the thing. Just, just because you have a, a complex, complicated, very sensitive, emotionally charged problem of injustice in the community doesn't mean that you don't look at it. 
doesn't mean that you ignore it. You address it. It's going to be messy. It, sometimes it gets bloody. It gets emotional. It gets crazy. It gets people's blood pressure up. And whatever solution you come up with, it's not going to be perfect. Almost always guaranteed. Someone's always going to be not happy. It's not going to be enough. Whichever end you're in. It doesn't matter. But you deal with it. I know that people today in our nation are very frustrated with the racial issue, right? And it, why does it seem like it gets worse, <laughs> you know? Um, and some people say, no, it actually has gotten better, uh, but I, didn't, I don't know, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, it doesn't seem like it, um, and people are frustrated. People are frustrated on all sides. You know, you got, you got, you got the black community that are upset. You got the white community that are upset. And then you got the Asian community. We're still here. Can you hear us? In the meantime, the Native American Indians are, seriously, you guys are complaining about this right now. You know who got most screwed is, is us. And everybody's upset. Nobody's happy. Everybody's issues, right? Is there injustice? Yes. Is there a problem with the system? Yes. What is the right response as Christians? There are people from all sides that are going to be abusing the good intentions of everyone involved, but how should we respond? I recently heard a pastor um, talk about a uh, topic related to this, and uh, what, what's, uh, what's a hot hashtag? You guys all know hashtag, right? Uh, no? So most of you know what hashtag is, okay? Um, it's what? Black Lives Matter. That's a very sensitive hashtag, Right? And then, so when that blew up, okay, um, what was the other hashtag that came in response to that? What is that? White lives matter. Yeah, it's okay. We can say it. White lives matter hashtag. Or, or all lives, not white lives, I'm sorry. All lives matter, right? All lives matter hashtag, right? Um, and he was uh, talking about this. And, you know, the, if you look at Acts, uh, this chapter, uh, when they, basically the hashtag, I think I have the hashtags up here. Imagine if it was that time, if they had Twitter back then, it would have been hashtag Grecian widows matter. And people would have been, yeah, you know, Grecian widows matter, Grecian widows matter, you know. And, but how did they respond? They didn't put up another hashtag saying all widows matter, all widows matter. That's not how they responded, right? That, we don't see that here. In fact, what we see is, the other hashtag is that gospel matters. Gospel matters. And it's a completely different approach because we're still, the first two hashtags, you're looking at it from them and us. Us and them. It's, it's the against paradigm, right? That perspective. But really the third one is, you know, uh, kind of puts everything together, encompasses everything and say, no, it's not even that or that group, this group, it's that gospel matters. And all our responses, every solution, every response has to come from that. Remember we talked about the movement last week and the reason why why is so important at the core of the golden circle, not the what. If you start focusing on what, like the Grecian widows matter, like all widows matter, you're going to have problems. But if you focus on the why, the core of the circle, that gospel is at the core then the what will be taken care of. Again, we live in a fallen world. We're still already, but not yet. So it's not going to be perfect. 
But this is the approach we need to take as believers. And so how did the early church deal with it? There was acknowledgement of the problem, right? They didn't ignore it. They didn't deny it, right? They, they acknowledged. It's very clear here when they complained, the, the 12, the apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, and they give them what they need them to do. So there was an acknowledgement of the problem. And number two, I thought this was interesting because we just saw Ananias and Sapphira drop dead, right? But in this situation, there was no shaming of the people involved. Because if they were indeed being overlooked intentionally, there must have been people in the community that were giving two to this person and one to that person. Four to that person and one to this person, right? But there wasn't this, you know, outright blaming them and bringing them out and uh, shaming them. There was acknowledgement of the issue, admitting of the problem, but there wasn't uh, a crazy, uh, this, this overly obvious um, uh, shaming, public shaming of, of the people involved. And three, they admitted and acknowledged that, hey, I, we can't solve this on our own. I can't do this by myself. We can't, we can't figure this out on our own, okay? So there was an admission of also lack of resources, also uh, humility, okay? And there wasn't this... Uh, um, sense of trying to justify that you don't see the apostles coming up and say hey look i'm trying my best best here you know or i didn't know the problem i didn't know this problem was going on look just leave me alone i'm trying to do my best here okay they, there wasn't any of that they admitted they couldn't do it all and this is important they prioritized different tasks of the people different roles not only did they prioritize they empowered other people to address the problem while giving them the authority to do this. What do they say? Uh, verse 2, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait. I'll get to uh, what that means. A word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. They're not just choosing anybody. There's specific condition here. Uh, seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And he says that this proposal pleased the whole group. And you know what's interesting? The seven people they choose, these are known as the deacons, right? It doesn't say that they were deacons, uh, but the word for serve here is, is, is the Greek word where we get the deacon from, okay? So that's why we get the word deacons. Um, all of them have Greek names. It's very interesting. All of them have very, uh, Greek names. If you go to China... Um, you, you know that there are uh, uh, places called SAR. Have, do you know what these places are, SAR? They're special administrative regions, meaning that um, actually uh, that region governs itself, sort of. They're, they're somewhat autonomous. I mean, we know that's not really true in China, <laughs> but, you know, at least that's what, you know, uh, special administrative region, you know, SARS, not the disease, but, the, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, you go to the area where... Uh, Korean Chinese are heavily concentrated, you know, occupying the, of the northern uh, states. The, the mayor, the city officials, they're all Korean Chinese descent. You go to uh, places where uh, 
Hui people. Uh, they're the Chinese Muslims. You go to the, all the officials, they're the Hui people, from the Hui people, you know. Um, and uh, you go to uh, uh, Xinjiang, uh, um, uh, Ulumuchi or, or uh, Kashgar, or all those areas, the people serving in the, in the city offices are from that people group, right? Okay? And so here we see, uh, and that's very smart, by the way. That's a very smart thing to do, okay? Now, we know that that's not exactly how it works in China. We're not going to get into that right now. But that's very smart, nevertheless. That's how you want to do it. And here, uh, I, I, I do think it's very interesting. They all have Greek names. So maybe they were all Grecian Jews. I don't know. We don't know for certain. Uh, but they empower them, and they had them take care of this problem. Now that they got through this issue, um, what do they say? What do they say? We need to focus on what we do best. We need to focus on what we're supposed to do, which is the ministry of the Word of God. Remember in Acts 2, when the church started, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. And again, remember that they were not being persecuted for the social actions that they were taking, the services they were providing. They were being persecuted by the leaders for what? Preaching in the name of Jesus. This is a very important thing for us to remember, okay? This is the why. This is the why. They weren't being persecuted for the what, but they're being persecuted for the why. And so here we can see the power of the gospel at work. Because gospel doesn't make me uh, defensive, you know. Like, hey, 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 what are you accusing me of here? Gospel makes me be open and, and, and... Feel free to admit that I have faults, that I don't have to hide anything, that we are falling short in these areas. And, and I need help, that we need help, that we can't do this alone. Okay? Um, and that there is brokenness in the system, that there is problem in the society, and that I am going to invite others to work on this with me together, not because necessarily of the need, but because of the gospel message. That's where we start from. And... Here we can see the uh, kind of the, it's called the two hands of the gospel. There's a missiologist by the name of Steve Hoke, and he says, uh, he says this, evangelism and social action are the two hands of the gospel, but which hand should be stretched first depends on the situation. Okay, evangelism and social action are the two hands of the gospel, but which hand should be stretched first depends on the situation. But, but see what it says, it's the two hands of the gospel, Hands even exist because there is the gospel, okay? And, and which goes first? I mean, uh, I remember, oh man, South Park, watching a cartoon, they were making fun of uh, uh, Sally Stroller, was it, you know, uh, doing all these uh, work in Africa, and it's kind of like, hey, I got food for you, okay, you want some? And these kids in Africa are just starving just bones, you know, oh, but you gotta, you gotta pray this prayer with me, you know, and, and then I'll give you uh, uh, your bread, you know? It, I mean, we all know that that's wrong, right? Something's wrong with that. So you have two hands of the gospel, but which, you know, you don't, you don't have to uh, give it a condition of, okay, you got to hear me share the gospel first, and if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I will give you food. It doesn't work like that. you got to see what situation it is first. Now, you, uh, you flip it, you come to a community like San Marino we're in, uh, you know, and <laughs> it's, it, it's a different approach you got to take. It's, it, there's a different need here. But who determines that? Which hand goes out first? What determines which hand goes out first? The gospel does. The gospel, because Jesus did both. Jesus did both. 
Another commentator wrote, spiritual and material experiences are so intimately related in Christian experience that one always affects the other for better or worse. Spiritual and material experiences are so intimately related in Christian experience that one always affects the other for better or worse. And I am so grateful for this commentator because there is no separation of, or there is just outright looking down on the physical, the material Okay? That's actually a heresy. Um, and so both are important. God created us. And, and I actually want to say that this isn't just talking about receiving uh, the daily sustenance, you know, having our physical needs being met. But it, it, it goes and it, it gets applied in our relationship with others as well. Okay? Uh, in, 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 in relationships of, of different levels of intimacy. Okay? Um, and spiritual and material experience are so intimately related. God validates both. He's not just say, he's not saying deny your flesh, you know, and just live in the spiritual. No, he said, this is good. Your body's good. Your, the material, the things that I've created is good. But it's not just that either, you, you know. Uh, the, don't forget the spiritual side. It's only when it comes together and, and, and he's saying that in Christian experience that all, one always affects the other for better or worse. The most difficult sermon, I don't know if I've shared this before, but that I've had to preach was in a, in a town, village, small village where it, it's a garbage town where they, and I found out I, I was going to preach to them on my drive there. And I thought I was just going to see uh, what was happening there, but we almost arrived there, and the, the hosting missionary was like, okay, you're going to preach <laughs> when we get there. I'm like, really, five minutes? And then, and I'm like, okay, whatever. I start preparing, and then as I'm pulling in, I see kids, literally, literally kids, little kids, like our kids that, you know, Sunday school age kids, playing in a mountain of garbage, you know. You park right next to it. You see these kids come running to you, and then we walk into this just, just cement building, and there's nothing in there except for benches, just wooden, you know, about this level, and they're all sitting like this, you know, and I think I might have shared this before, but, and then you stand there, all of a sudden I have to preach a message, you know. And I had a dilemma. Which hand first? What is good news to these people? Right? To tell you the truth, I don't even know what I spoke on because I was so distracted by this woman in the front row breastfeeding her child right in front of me, you know, that not that there's anything wrong with that. I know people are offended, but I'm totally fine. I have three kids, so that's fine, you know. Um, but uh, that was just one scene of that whole thing. I, through the window, I see kids playing in garbage, and inside the room, I see all these people just run down, just worn out, just, you know, uh, poverty stricken and I'm thinking what is good news for these people spiritual and material experiences are so intimately related again flip it if you're so wealthy if you're so comfortable if you have everything does that mean that the spiritual experience comes naturally no in fact it's the opposite people who live in extreme poverty are more receptive of the gospel message than people who live in wealth And so going back to the idea of movement from last Sunday, the apostles knew the importance of the ministry of word and prayer. They didn't say, well, look at all this is problem. Okay, let's stop teaching. Let's stop everything, and we're all going to go out there and start handing out bread. No, they didn't do that. 
I guarantee you, if they had done that, maybe they wanted to, there was that reaction because they saw the need in front of them. But if they dropped everything and just everybody started handing out bread to everybody, then I'm, I'm, I can almost guarantee you that we wouldn't be in here in this room right now. There wouldn't have been church because they would have lost the why sooner or later. So you need both. You need both. So here, we see, and I talked about this last week, and I'm going to give you one more quote. Today's just one of those Sundays, you're just getting a lot of quotes, um, because honestly, they say it better than I can, so that's why I'm giving you these quotes. Um, But you see that this church, early church, was so organic, so vibrant, and things were happening just like, you know, on the spot. They go in jail, and an angel comes and opens the door, and they come out and preach, and, you know, they're, they're being persecuted, they're getting flogged, but they go away rejoicing. All these crazy and awesome things were happening, but starting today, you see what the elements of institution coming into church right they had to pick leaders they had to delegate responsibilities people had to report all of a sudden there are people they have to report to right so you see these elements of institution coming into play so i'm going to give you one last quote here by tim keller he says this a strong dynamic movement then occupies this difficult space in the center the place of tension and balance between being a free-willing organism and a disciplined organization, a movement that refuses to take on some organizational characteristics, authority, tradition, unity of belief, and quality control will fragment and dissipate. Movements that fail to resist the inevitable tendency toward complete institutionalization will end up losing their vitality and effectiveness. The job of the movement leader is to steer the ship safely between these two perils. So, You got to move, man, and you want to, man, you want to keep it going. But eventually, you need a structure of some sort to harness the energy of the movement so that it can keep going. Otherwise, it dissipates. It dissipates. But you want to protect the why you even exist in the first place. So it's it's a tough balance that we have to find and maintain and keep reminding ourselves of. And so that's what we strive to do as a church. That's what we want to strive to do as a church. We want to remember that the gospel has two hands. And as we are trying to do this, there are going to be decisions we have to make. There are going to be certain things that people may, it may be new to them. Well, I thought church was just kind of like this. You know, why do we have, all of a sudden have these things? Oh, well, because if we don't, we're, not, we're going to cease to exist as a local church. You know. Why do we have membership classes? And, and um, uh, you know, I'm almost done here. Uh, things like membership class, you know that I, I thought a lot about this. Do we, ha- why do we need membership classes? You know, and some people will be like, aren't we all members of the church of Jesus Christ? Why do I have to take this class to be a member of this particular local church? You know, and I think about it, I was so close to just getting rid of all of it, you know. But if you want, like what Tim Keller just talked about here, see, this is why I share quotes, because they say it better than I can, you know. If you do away with all these things, you're going to dissipate. You're you're not going to exist sooner or later. It just doesn't work that way. And so these are things that we have to decide, even the denomination that we're going to be talking about next week. 
Okay? Why, why, you know, there has been no decisions made, by the way. I just want everybody to know. And that's why we're having the meeting, because we want everybody's input. Okay? Um, these are the decisions that we're going to have to make. Um, but regardless of which decisions we make, that we remember that it all starts from the gospel, that we need to remember the why, the center of the circle, and that we all have a part in this movement that is moving forward. Still now, I think. Let's pray.